Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Uh, just a, a, a real, uh, it's simple but not easy. How many are thankful for that passage I alluded to earlier where the kingdom of God belongs to children? You've got to change to become like a little child. And so I love that the kingdom of God, in its essence, it's, it's simple. Like G, the, the incarnate word, God's love and redemptive message have come to us in the person of Jesus. And I love that Jesus knows like no other human in history, how to relate to each of us on our level. How many are thankful for that Jesus really does have a way to crack open the hardest of hearts and to lead us forward into paths of flourishing and redemption? How many are thankful Jesus knew how to get you? (laughs) And I, I love that Jesus knows how to reach us the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 that the, the human heart is deceitful. Genesis 6, that it's like wicked beyond repair. But how many are thankful what is impossible to transform and change by he, mere human ingenuity and effort can be transformed and remade from the inside out through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That even though the heart is deceitful and wicked and convoluted and messed up because of sin, Jesus comes to us and makes us brand new. So the essence of it is simple. But learning how to appropriate and to live out of our new identity in Christ is not always easy. Can I get an amen? Though 2 Corinthians 5.17 is absolutely true, for those who turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus, they become a new creation. And how many are thankful for that great exchange? We bring our sins, our barrenness, our baggage, and our brokenness, and he gives us grace, mercy, love, and a brand new life. But how many would say today, Chatty, But it takes a long time to learn to live in light of who I now am becoming in the grace of God. We learn a new rhythm, a new life, a new purpose, a new destiny in the love of God. Last week, two weeks ago, we had a a baptism. It was off the hook, baptized, I think, 12 people. It was super beautiful. We have a big, beautiful, warm, cozy baptism tank that someone bought the church right before COVID hit, and we finally got to uh, break it in. Then last week, we looked at out of that Acts chapter 2 passage, after Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins would be forgiven, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promises for you, your children, and for all of those who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God will call. And then it says this in verse 40, and this was all last week. You can go check out the podcast or whatever. Then he says, save yourself from the corrupt generation. It's this weird phrase. After he basically tells them how to be saved by putting their trust in Jesus, he then issues an invitation that Jesus will need them to partner with him on an ongoing, moment-by-moment, dynamic, relational reality. That, the, that the, the work that Jesus does in us, he then wants to partner with us to bring it forth to full maturation and fruition. We call this journey discipleship or being formed in the image of Christ. How many have ever known what it was to partner with the Lord and to see real progress? 
And how many have known what it is when the Lord was looking for a partner, your head was buried in some sand or you were off in the weeds and you were like, man, why am I not growing? Oh, I forgot, it's a partnership. I forgot, he, he needs my not just one time yes, but my once and ongoing yes to his leadership, to his love and to the, to the spirits moving in my life. And so Peter looks at the crowd, 15 different nations represented Their hearts are cut open by the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And after he tells them the good news of forgiveness and the pouring out of the spirit, the the forgiveness of sins and being brought into a new kingdom family, he says, but the enemy does not go down without a fight. He doesn't like losing ground and he certainly doesn't doesn't like losing John chapter 8, 31 through 6. Those who once were in in his clutches. How many are thankful that though the enemy doesn't go down without a fight, there is one who is greater, who's fighting for us and over us. Sure, there's a 1 Peter 5, 8 roaring lion that roars trying to devour the believers throughout the earth, but there is a greater lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah who reigns on David's throne, who roars over us as the one who has redeemed us through his own blood. But we're in a fight. And the fight is predominantly for your heart because if there could be a crack in your heart open to the lusts of the flesh, to go back to your old life, to cool off, to to be complacent or to compromise, to assimilate, to accommodate until you give up on the faith altogether. And so Peter says, the choice that you're making now, Acts 2, the repentance, the forgiveness, Praise God you're making that choice, but just so you know, you're going to have to keep making that choice to walk with me to really make progress and then to make a space and a place and a community that when the world who is bound and broken by sin, when they see that community, they're like, I want what they're serving in that house. I'll have what they're having. And then we bring him to the table of God's grace and love and mercy and say, hey, he made room for me at this table so we can make room for you at this table. And so he says, save yourselves. Don't let corruption settle back in. Don't cool off. Don't be complacent. Don't compromise. But now respond to the gospel and build a life in the grace of God that doesn't just repel the forces of darkness, the lust of the flesh, your old habits and sins. It's not just that you're defensive, but it's creating this space where the life of Christ that was planted in you when you said yes can grow. How many have ever tried to grow a plant or a garden or whatever? Raise your hand or if you've like, you have any success of keeping a plant alive. How many are know, how many know it's not enough just to throw seed into some random place and to shoot it with water on occasion and hope you're going to have a big, beautiful tree and a harvest when harvest time comes. But how many have ever taken that perspective with their life of faith? Matthew 13 says that we serve a beautiful sower who's always casting kingdom seed. How many are thankful for the generosity of God? At least just... 
He's just throwing seed everywhere. He wants everyone to know how good he is, how glorious, how kind, how full of compassion. He's always inviting, always drawing, always calling. But how many know it's only one out of the four types of soil that are prepared and ready to receive, cherish, cultivate, steward, and grow for that seed to grow into something that bears 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And what we're going to talk about just briefly for the few minutes we have left is right after the crowds hear the gospel, their hearts are cut, they respond. Oh, by the way, verse 40, 40 and 41, 3,000 are added to the kingdom in one message, one hour. They repent, they're stoked. Oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, they're they're adopted into God's new kingdom family of both Jew, Gentile, slave-free, young, old, male, female, rich, poor, educated, un uneducated, this beautiful kingdom of Christ. And immediately, they get to work on partnering with the grace of God to build a culture together as a community that isn't just good at receiving the word, of the gospel, but a culture that stewards, cultivates, and allows the word to grow until there's a big old tree on a hill, as was declared, that the birds of the air can find rest and solace from the beating heat of the day. And so it's this very familiar passage. The early church I can't wait till we meet believers from the early church because you know how pastors are like, oh, we need to be like the early church and they're gonna look, I promise you they're gonna look at us and go, we're so happy you thought we had it all together and figured out and had a perfect record and once Jesus came and rose and then poured out the spirit, we were good. Never had to deal with an adversity or sin or repentance or reconciliation. We were just, we got it. I, I can't wait to meet believers from the first 300 years. Anybody else ever, who has ever heard like the early church being lifted up as this thing we're supposed to be, go back to? And rightfully so, they really did some good things. And for those in the cloud of witnesses listening, I'm not slandering you. I'm just saying I can't wait. You know what I'm saying. So the passage I'm about to read, if you've grown up in the church or you've read Francis Chan or any discipleship moving book, you've heard this verse. What did the early church do? Let's go back to the early church and even though we can't go back, we can look back, we can learn and lean in, look at the practices, the rhythms, the routines, those, those things that shaped and formed them to thrive from 3,000 in Jerusalem to 25 million in the Roman Empire in 300 years. How many think, though they were not perfect, didn't have it all together, we have something to learn by looking back, by looking to the scriptures? And how many are thankful for Romans 15, verse 4 and 5, that everything that was written in here is meant to provide encouragement? Whoever needs encouragement, say amen. But how many know encouragement's just the beginning? And endurance. So that through the hope that the scriptures provide, you and I, we can finish the race marked out for us, Hebrews 12, 2, and 3. 
So how many are thankful for the word that we can be encouraged and receive the endurance we're going to need to not just get by, but to overcome in faith with the heart alive and the love of God. This is what we're going after this morning. So save yourself. Oh, 3,000 are added. They immediately set out in the grace of God to build a culture and a community where the life of God's spirit, the life and ministry of Jesus' kingdom could be cultivated and the ministry and mission of Jesus could continue to flow through the people of God. So here it is. It's really simple. Open up your Bibles. Acts 2. It's very famous. Verse 42. After the 3,000 are added, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers or prayer. Verse 37. What do we got to do to be saved? 38 through 40, repent, turn to Jesus, you're forgiven, you'll get the gift of the Spirit, it's for you, for your kids, and all your kids, 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 it's for everybody, but save yourself from the corrupt generation, don't just believe on Jesus once, live with your eyes and heart locked on him until you actually see his face, and you receive the goal of your faith, 1 Peter chapter 1, 8 through 10, the salvation of your souls, keep your eyes locked on him. Woohoo, 3,000 added. Oh, now what do we do? Devote yourself to the, the teaching of the apostles. Get anchored in fellowship, a kingdom community. Begin to break bread around tables, share, be formed in the likeness of Christ. And then give yourself to the lifeblood and lifeline of the church, past, present, and future. Give yourself to prayer. So everyone say, the word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. I know, this sounds super revolutionary, but how many know it's simple, but it's not easy? Because how many would say today that there are, there are plenty of other things that are pulling at your and my attention, vying for our affection 24-7, 365, just pulling us to be formed in some other image, to cultivate some other type of soil, to grow some other kind of vision of what life is really meant to be about. So what is the apostles' teaching? All that Jesus began to do and teach. Remember Jesus in the Great Commission. He said this, go and baptize the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Make disciples of them and teach them to obey every single thing I said. So when it says that they were devoted, everyone say devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It would become later the New Testament. The teachings about Jesus, his miracles, his parables, his life, death, and resurrection. This newly repented, baptized, forgiven kingdom family immediately set out to build their life on the stories of Jesus Christ. How many have ever experienced a lull in your spiritual journey and then you found Jesus again and he set your heart on fire? All of us live out of stories. All of us are formed by narratives. And this kingdom community that was 
built on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. She is meant to live with Jesus at her center 24-7, 365. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I feel like the whole passage falls apart or holds together in that one phrase, devotion or being devoted. How many would say, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, that there was a direct correlation between your sense of the nearness of God's pleasure and presence growing and overcoming adversity and obstacles, living with a vibrant spirit, and your devotion to Jesus. How many have ever seen that correlation together? On the flip side, how many have known the lukewarm, dull, complacent, indifferent, apathetic, and then you begin to look at your own life and went, maybe I should seek first the kingdom again. Direct correlation. I believe this whole passage rises and falls on that one word, they were devoted. Now shout some words at me. What do you think of when you think of the word devoted? Help me out. Commitment, what else? Loyal, discipline, sacrifice, love, faithful, service. Do any of us by default just live devoted? Or is it something the grace of God wants to cultivate in us? Being devoted. Being all in. Everybody say all in. How many are good at being all in on occasion? But he wants us to be all in all the time. Devoted, knowing that if I'm not being formed by this true story, the story of the gospel, the story of King Jesus, then I'm probably being formed by some other counterfeit story. And the end of that story is not the redemption renewal of all things, New Jerusalem coming out of the sky, raiding and ruling with Jesus. This is the only story that has the most epic end that you want to be a part of. And so they were devoted to Jesus and the story, the scriptures. And if there was one secret, it's not a secret. So I'm telling you, I've been following the Lord since I, pretty hard since I was 16. So 20 years, by far, not even a close second. Being devoted to scripture has been the most form, transformational, formative tool that God has used in my life for 20 years. Being devoted to this, memorizing it, meditating on it, feasting on it. When I wake up, when I drive, when I think, and I want to encourage you, if you feel like this book is dull, if you feel like, as my friend Rick and I always say, if you feel like the book is closed to you, it's confusing, you don't understand, did you know that, honestly, if I can get, train you and encourage you to open this up, and to have it open you up and for you to agree with what it says and you, instead of you trying to get it to agree with what you say and what you think, I, I will declare today in confidence that you will experience greater growth and transformation in your life as you learn to abide in and obey this by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, I'm serious. I'm a satisfied customer. I'm not a salesman up here. This book has marked my life. And it can mark your life too. So the first thing they were devoted to, because 
at the core of who we are in our humanity. We're story creatures. We live out of, that's why we love movies and shows and art, because they tell a story. They pull us in. Our emotions, our heart, our affection, our attention, our allegiance. This early community gave itself to cultivating a space and a place for the peace, Colossians 3, 15 and 16, of Christ to reign and to rule and to transform and charge the atmosphere everywhere they gathered. Come on, somebody say amen. This is why you'll hear this quoted, declared, prayed, prophesied, sang, and shouted at Cornerstone Church. We know if it's not built on this, it will not stand the storms that are coming. We are devoted to the word. And we're devoted to the one that the word points to, the living word, Jesus Christ. And it's so important that you and I experience an open book reality on three occasions post-resurrection. Just read Luke 24. I don't have time. Jesus gives those disciples post-resurrection tools to read all of this in light of who he is. So how many know we don't just read and do this and randomly think, oh, I wonder what this is about. The unified collective witness of Scripture points to the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. What else were they devoted to? To fellowship. Now, when you and I think fellowship, and if you've been in the church, maybe you think like a potluck. And let me say this in the name of Jesus. There ain't nothing wrong with potlucks. There is nothing wrong with your mama's casserole and that ham. Come on, what else are some staples at potlucks? None of y'all have ever been to a potluck. Never mind. Right? Okay, let's just move on. I'm hungry. Let's move on. Hurry up. So look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Because they were devoted to the word, to the story, to Jesus, to his parables, to his life, to his teaching, all that he said and did, Jesus said, command and disciple nations to obey, to obey everything I said. That's what was shaping the community. And out of the story that they gave their allegiance to, they had a kind of fellowship that was formed by the story. So how many would believe that the life and the experience of church is meant to be shaped by her Lord, Jesus Christ? So as they're devoted to the word, the word forms and fashions a people. And those people, though they have different gifts, talents, abilities, passions, vocations, but what unifies them is that the king is in her midst and the king has an eternal, has an eternal plan and purpose. And all of us get in alignment with his plan and purpose in our unique ways. But we, we fellowship around the reality that all things are headed somewhere. Philippians 2, every knee's gonna bow and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day, the man who came first time to bear sin, second time, Hebrews 9, 26 through 8, he's coming to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We know in between those times, there is a task, there is a telos, there is an aim of the church community, and it's to partner with her Lord to see broken, sin-bound humanity brought back into flourishing in life, which only comes by being rightly oriented to Jesus Christ, who is life. So listen, when you hear the word 
they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Oh, they just hung out and just had fun. Heck yeah, they hung out and had fun, but their fellowship, what tied them together and what unified them, what was the trumpet over their fellowship was whatever it takes to encourage, to nurture, to correct, to train, to raise up, to equip and empower, whatever it takes in here, all of us are participating. We're fellowshipping and aiming towards a common end, which is Jesus Christ coming to reign and to rule. And in the meantime, we want to be a people that when those that Jesus came and died to save, they have a place and a context to hang the claims of Christ on. It's what sociologists call a plausibility structure. How many know we are in trouble when we say something, but our lives do not match what we're saying? It's called hypocrisy, of which all of us have dabbled in on occasion. And so the, the, the apostles' teaching shapes, forms, fashions, fills, and sustains the, the kingdom community. And as that story forms us, we begin to relate to one another in an entirely different way. <laughs> Through Jesus. That wasn't a joke, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and that fellowship becomes the context where we do the hard work of actually obeying what Jesus said together. Come on. How many would say it's a little easier to just obey Jesus when no eyes are on me and it's just me and Jesus, but how many know Jesus don't play that way? Jesus himself, as soon as he exits the waters of baptism, instead of setting up his own Twitter account, Instagram page, and ministry website, he immediately goes and brings a community to be formed around him and with him. How many know there is no lone ranger version of Christianity? It'll eat you alive. And so that fellowship, we all have different gifts, graces, talents, abilities, personalities. None of that gets washed away. Praise God for diversity in the kingdom. But the fellowship is we are fellowshipping in our followership of Jesus and his lordship in our life. Okay. And then they broke bread. Hurry up. Come on, hurry up. I love this. One of my favorite books I ever read was a book called A Meal with Jesus. It's only about this thick, very thin. I recommend go on Kindle, buy it. It's phenomenal. This, uh, this theologian goes through Luke's gospel, and he basically summarizes Luke's gospel as this. If you take away the meals or the tables, you don't have a gospel. And he says this, and just go read Luke's gospel this week, and you'll find it to be true. Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. Come on, somebody who's hungry, say amen to that. There's something about a shared table, come on, somebody, where you make space, hospitality, you welcome the other. How many know you and I have been welcomed through the hospitality and generosity and grace of God? There is a table and a place at that table with your name on it, and you didn't have enough to pay the guy at the door to get in. It was paid for you through the blood of Jesus Christ. So out, out of that fellowship, they realized that as tables and meals were absolutely essential to the inbreaking of God's kingdom through the ministry of Jesus. Tables and meals and bread is going to continue to be one of the primary ways God advances his kingdom. 
Come on, somebody. What if you and I, what if every believer in Santa Maria on the Central Coast viewed their table as a hospital bed for the broken, sin-sick humanity that's all around us? Come on, how many know that it is through the stomach you get to the human heart? Come on, I'm about to preach right now. Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. Help me out, I gotta finish. I got one more point. I'm, I'm hurrying. Do you say to hurry or don't hurry? Oh, I love you. I love you, thank you. If you all leave, I'll just keep preaching it, Conrad. That's good. But look at this, look at this. Jesus unfolds the scriptures, Luke 24, to the couple on the road to Emmaus. Remember, it's post-resurrection. They don't understand or see that it's Jesus, so Jesus kind of plays dumb. I love Jesus. He's like, what happened in Jerusalem? Are you a total stranger? This guy, Jesus of Nazareth, this prophet, this healer, this teacher, he was crucified. We thought he was the Messiah, but he's dead. And now someone just came from a tomb and said he rose, but we haven't seen him. Are you a stranger? You don't understand what's happening right now? So Jesus explains the whole Bible to them, the law of the prophets of Moses. And then he acts like he's gonna pass their house. And then the friends finally say, don't, don't, come on in and eat with us. And I want you to understand how important meals are in hospitality and generosity. Because I'm convinced that the vast majority of us do not participate in God's redemptive plans because we disqualify ourselves and think we're not spiritual or religious enough. But how many of you got a table to serve a meal at? Raise your hand. Okay, you don't got a table. How many got a living room couch and some TV trays? And look at this. I want you to see this. Go back to the tape in Luke 24. It's not until he breaks bread that their eyes are open. They're like, oh, it was Jesus the whole time. There's something about the breaking of bread, opening your home, opening your house to the other, making space, hospitality. So much is already preached, practiced, and proclaimed just by having an open table. Come on, somebody. Just by being generous and hospitable. And the early church was marked by the ministry of her King Jesus. And Jesus utilized the table as his primary mode to interact with sinners, to bring them into forgiveness and, and fullness, and, 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 and to release God's love and redemption. So they broke bread. They shared resources. They were generous and hospitable. How many have ever known someone who was generous? What happened when you were around that person who was hospitable or generous? What did it do to you on the inside? I'm welcomed. What else? I'm, I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm important. I've got a place. Do you think that there is a world longing for any of those five descriptors? I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm important. There's a place for me. They broke bread. Obviously, every theologian basically agrees that that at least refers to the communion meal, but also to the common meal. Whatever it is, how many want to say, I want to build a life and lifestyle on the generosity and hospitality of God? And then finally, finally, prayer. Oh, my favorite. I don't know. They're all my favorite. They knew because Jesus was their model, the entirety of, I don't have time to preach this part, but the entirety of Jesus's life and ministry was one long prayer. And they knew it's the only thing that they ever asked Jesus to teach them to do. Did you know that? Teach us to pray. 
Jesus, however you relate to your Father, however you walk in that kind of compassion, however you walk in that kind of power, however you're able to deal with those knucklehead religious people, Jesus, however, however you're able to, we want you to teach us the source behind all of that. Teach us to pray. So as they were formed by the scriptures, and the scriptures gave them a narrative to live out of, it formed their fellowship. They all had the same aim and ambition, which was to see Jesus glorified in all the earth. Out of that, they made space for others. They broke bread. And what sustained their community was ongoing relational dialogue we call prayer. Partnering with God, prayer, intimacy, abiding, asking, seeking, and knocking. And how many are thankful that if we set our hearts to become not only a person but a people who ask, seek, and knock, how many would say today, the truth is those who ask will receive. Those who seek are gonna find and to the one who knocks, the door is gonna be open to them. So we don't pray and just wish and hope. There is someone on the other end of the line who loves to be found by his sons and daughters who devote themselves to seek his face and his kingdom first on earth as it is in heaven. So they were devoted to the word. That word formed a kind of fellowship, a telos, an aim for their life together. Generosity hospitality formed their community. There's room for you at the table. You're accepted. There's a place for you to belong, to become, so that you can begin to live out of your true identity in Christ. And out of all of it, prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. The earliest prayer of the church, come, Holy Spirit. Come on, just say that, come, Holy Spirit. It was always on their lips. They knew they had nothing if he didn't give it first. Come on, how many know we have nothing if he doesn't give it first? But how many know there's a place full of provision, purpose, power, peace that we have access to in the place of prayer? We're welcomed in, what? To find mercy and grace no matter the time of need. So these simple things, they're simple, but they're not easy. And as you have, maybe you've responded to the gospel, my simple question is, are these pillars active and standing in your life? Or right now, could you just raise hand and say, there is one of those areas that are way off kilter. I wanna give myself to it this week. How many would say of those four things, the scriptures, fellowship, breaking bread, or prayer, how many would say they've got an assignment from the Lord to partner with the grace of God to grow this week? All right, stand up on your feet. My goal, and you'll be hearing a lot more about this over the next few weeks. I know we have a lot of visitors. It's always hard. Hopefully, have you visitors been blessed by the presence of God? I hope so. Don't call you out, embarrass you. But over these next few weeks, we want to keep as, as more and more feel comfortable to gather in person and online. We want to see these four dynamics growing, functioning, and flowing in us. How many want to join a community like was just described? A Jesus kingdom community where we're devoting to the word, to fellowship. We're all aiming at Jesus being exalted and expressed and embodied in our life, in our work, in our mission, in our witness. Our homes and our hearts are open. Hospitality, generosity, sharing resources. This is our lifestyle because our king is generous. And then prayer. I want to grow in prayer. 
I want to grow in my confidence and connection to the Lord. I want to partner with him as an intercessor. I want to see him loose his power and provision over those areas that need to be transformed through his love. And look how the passage ends, and I'll end it with this. I'll just read it and pray. All came upon everyone, verse 43, because many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. That culture of devotion will release awe and wonders around us. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Ah. Oh. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, say that with me, day by, one more time, day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And I know it's counterintuitive. Devote ourselves to become a kind of community, but how is any work going to get done? How are lost people going to be found? How many know there is a good shepherd who knows how to find the lost? I'm not saying don't go seek and save the lost, Luke 19, 10, partner with Jesus. But how many would say we're in a day where we've got to be devoted to be participating, being formed in a community so that the lost actually see a different type of community to belong with? How many would say skepticism, cynicism are big hurdles and mountains that are presently reigning in our culture, but they can be overcome by a community that's being formed in the likeness of Jesus. They're not hopeless and helpless. They're big, they're barriers, but the, but the, the remedy is a community that's being formed by the spirit and power of Jesus Christ, formed into his love and his likeness and his nature. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray this past, all week I was trying to pr plan and I just had to keep shutting my iPad and my computer. I just turn it into prayer because I know it sounds so familiar. And everyone in this room maybe is like, this is so familiar. Okay, the word, prayer, fellowship, and breaking it. But Lord, I'm asking that this passage would leap off the page and get into our hearts. I'm asking that it would move like holy fire in the lives of your people in this hour. I'm asking that homes would be turned upside down. They'd become little houses of prayer and your presence for neighbors, for relational networks, for colleagues at work. I'm praying, Father, for a move of the Holy Spirit, that these four pillars would be built in our house, and that, God, the storms and the shaking that's coming will not detour your work in us and the ministry and kingdom plan through us as we participate with Jesus Christ at the center of it all. Lord, I'm asking that you would mark our church and your church by these great dynamic realities of word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Father, I pray you would draw all people to yourself right now. In this room right now, if there's any that don't know you, Holy Spirit, tug on their heart and show them the way. Welcome them into the love of the Father as they repent, and they turn from their sin, and they receive the pardon and kindness of God revealed through Jesus. It's in his mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. I love you guys. Bless you.